Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 414. I love going on cruises for not only the fun things you can do and places you can visit, but for the food. I've got a countdown this week of the top five things that I've eaten so far in a cruise ship this year. Here we go. I was thinking about all the stuff I've done on a cruise so far, and I was considering, obviously, the two sailings I've done on Adventure of the Seas and one sailing I've done so far on Freedom of the Seas. And I'm very lucky to have gone on this many cruises so quickly at the on-start of sailings beginning again. And I was kind of looking back, kind of taking, reflecting on what I did, what I enjoyed. And inevitably, my mind constantly was wandering towards what I ate. I love eating on cruises. I love the food they offer. It's a combination of familiar favorites, as well as just brand new dishes that I've never tried, never thought of trying, thought about trying, but didn't want to pay for it or combination of all of that, right? And I love that there's a great variety of choices, whether it is complimentary or extra cost, there's just a lot to like. And coming back on Royal Caribbean for me was more than a homecoming in the sense of being on a cruise ship and walking down the Royal Promenade and be like, I'm home, right? And I certainly had that feeling. But a lot of what I was missing was also the amazing food. I love the different choices you have on there. And in my opinion, there are definitely some foods that are signature Royal Caribbean classics, things that you just associate mentally, as I do, with going on a cruise. And so this week, I wanted to count down the top five things that I've eaten so far on a cruise. And I think like many of you, not only are you going to relish the opportunity to have somebody else, you know, clean your sheets every day and make your room and wave hello to you as you're walking on board, but there's also somebody preparing that food for you and the variety of choices. I often joke with my children that when we're at home and we're trying to figure out what they want to eat for a particular meal and they're kind of like, one kid wants this thing and the other kid wants something else, I'm like, no, 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 no. We This isn't the windjammer. We don't have a limitless amount of choices here. You can't just pick and choose what you want. We're doing one thing. But on a cruise ship, totally different. So today, looking back on the two ships I've been on, Adventure of the Seas and Freedom of the Seas, I've got the top five things I wanted to share that I've eaten so far on a Royal Caribbean cruise. But before I get to my list, I do need to mention some honorable mentions. I think I said that. That's redundant. But nonetheless, (laughs) there are some foods. There's more than obviously just five I really enjoyed. But I really wanted to focus this list on the things that truly stood out as opposed to favorite foods that I really did enjoy having again and again. And again, to make up for lost time, chief among them, the chicken sandwich from the Snack Shack, a perfect day cookie. My goodness, love this thing. It was so good. When we got to Coco Key, that would have been the second day of the cruise adventure of the sea. So second day on the ship, we're at Coco Key already, which is fantastic. And I was, I asked our cabana attendant, what time can we get a chicken sandwich? Like what time is the, the Snack Shack open? Because I wanted it immediately. So I probably had a chicken sandwich less than 24 hours after being on board the ship. And it was really good. I, it still holds up. I think that's also one other thing. If you're wondering, oh, gee, you know, how much has the food changed since the shutdown of the cut back on things? Everything here, certainly on this list, uh, maintains, if not, you know, is just as good as it was before. Uh, and I certainly didn't notice anything. I was like, wow, that's radically different. Royal Caribbean basically, you know, shut everything down and turn everything back on in, in effect and very simplification, obviously. But they... Everything is as you remember it to some extent there. Uh, also, Sorrento's Pizza, still good. I was talking to Royal Caribbean's head of food and beverage, Lincoln D'Souza, who you've heard on this podcast before, and he was telling me that the pizza on Adventure of the Seas is the final product. They had been 
revising it a couple different times to make it, you know, exactly what they wanted it to be. But it is really good. Yes, it's great after, you know, a certain hour of the evening. But honestly, it is tasty no matter what. I like the, the crispy crust to it. Good flavor, good variety of stuff in there. So you've got that as well. And, of course, you've got my one of my favorites in the main dining room, the spaghetti bolognese, which did not disappoint as well. So these are all honorable mentions. I, I certainly enjoyed them. I will continue to order them. But they just didn't make my list. They weren't. I was trying to think of the best top things I've eaten on board. Now, I'm going to start with number one. And again, I guess this is in order is from least to most or however you want to look at it. We're starting at the bottom. Let's move to the top of the list, right? And that is Izumi Hibachi on Freedom of the Seas. I am an absolute sucker for hibachi. I, you know, it's hard to screw up hibachi in my mind, but Royal Caribbean's version at Izumi is the gold standard. I remember after uh, we got vaccinated, my wife and I, we went to uh, like a week or two later for fully vaccinated. We were like, I want to go eat something like in a, in a restaurant inside the restaurant. And I was like, we got to go to a teppanyaki hibachi restaurant. We went to a Benihana and it was kind of disappointing. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm not sure if it was because of, you know, COVID protocols or whatever, but it just wasn't quite the same thing. But getting on Freedom of the Seas, I knew I had to eat at hibachi because this was just a, a favorite thing. I love Izumi in general, and I did have a little bit of sushi. I actually had a lot of sushi on Adventure of the Seas. So, you know, if you're wondering about that, not to worry. The sushi was fantastic, but because I'd also had a ton of sushi on on Adventure of the Seas, Izumi location, which does not have hibachi, when I got on Freedom, I needed to have that hibachi experience, and it it was exactly as I remember it. It was really, really good. Uh, I love all the food you get. It's it's one of those restaurants, honestly, I could probably eat there every night of the cruise. You know, obviously, I, I prefer variety. I'm not saying that I would ever do that, but it's certainly that good that I feel like I could uh, eat there because that much. It's, just, it's, it's a lot of food, um, but it is well worth it. I love the show that they have there, and it's just quality, and it was the kind of experience that I just miss. You know what else I miss about it? Obviously, being on a cruise ship, I have the drink package. You get to order Sapporo beer. You get a little bit of hot sake. That, my friends, is truly the the icing on the cake of the experience, plus something to do while you're waiting for them to cook your food and do all the shtick. So uh, I, I really enjoy it, but it was, it was so good. And Izumi just always knocks out of the ballpark for me. Whenever I talk to anybody about, hey, you know, what's one specialty restaurant we should try? We've never done one before in Royal Caribbean. I would say try Izumi Hibachi. It's just, I, I, I can't imagine you walk out of there disappointed. So. That was number one. Number two, we're going to stay on Freedom of the Seas and go up to the pool deck because we're going to El Loco Fresh. And I was eating lunch. I was actually trying to sneak in a lunch. I, had a, I was between meetings. And uh, I was like, man, I, I want to grab something to eat. And I think I walked through the Windjamere and either nothing appealed to me or I was just like, I was just in the mood for Mexican, right? And it was hot out there. But I went to El Loco Fresh and they have the make your own burrito. And basically you get, you walk through the line and you say, okay, I want to start with a tortilla and then you put on whichever meat you want and then an assortment of vegetables. And then of course the, the magic really happens at the salsa bar there at the end where that you can put in guacamole, you can put in pico de gallo, you can put in salsa, you can put in lettuce, tomato, onion. I mean, you can go crazy with stuffing. And in my opinion, a burrito is not a burrito unless the tortilla is literally bursting at the seams and by the end of it has completely exploded to the saturation of food and awesomeness inside. And I got to say the make your own burrito is the way to go. I actually, I got the make your own burrito and then they have a grab and go burrito. that's already pre-made and I grabbed one of those as well. And I ate the, the make your own first and I ate the pre-made second. That was a mistake. The pre-made was just like, 
Ugh, I wish I had gotten another make your own. But of course, when you make your own, you get to style it exactly the way you want it. You know, I love like to me, in my opinion, not not only do I stuff it like crazy. Number two, uh, there is no such thing as too much pico de gallo. If if it was up to me, the burrito would be nothing but pico de gallo and a little bit of rice and beans and maybe a, a piece of meat in there. Like, I mean, I love it. It's so good. Anyway, I had a great I really, really enjoyed that. And El Loco Fresh is a restaurant that I've only had the chance to eat on a couple ships so far. And because it's, you know, it's up by the pool deck uh, and I, I, it's not, we do like going there. Actually, my kids like it a lot because my kids are like quesadilla machines. If it was up to them, they would probably eat quesadillas day and night. It's just cheese quesadillas. I mean, just literally tortilla and cheese. That's it. Just that, that's like they're one of their favorite foods in the whole wide world. So inevitably we'll go like to maybe a windjammer or go to a specialty restaurant. And then one of us will go run back out to the, to El Loco Fresh and grab a couple quesadillas for the kitties. But I got to tell you, it really is good. You know, obviously many of you know, I'm a big fan of Sabor. It's not on the same level. It's a different, totally different type of experience, but the guacamole, the salsa, it's, it's all good. It's all certainly uh, above average and I really enjoy it. So make your own burrito at El Loco Fresh number two. Number three, I want to swing back over to Adventure of the Seas, and we're going to Chops Grill, and we're going to get the tuna crudo. There's a lot of great choices on that menu, and listen, this list really could have been five steaks, okay? I, I perfectly recognize that that feature. I'm trying to be a little more diverse there, uh, but also part of it is, personally, I've tried to stay away as much as I can from red meat. I'm not going to succeed in this list, but as you'll see, but trust me when I say that I'm trying to branch out a little bit more, But but I am... As much a sucker for salsa as I am for tuna, tuna is just, it's so good. And one of my favorite appetizers at any specialty restaurant is the uh, is the tuna crudo from Chops. Basically, it is ahi tuna with an avocado base. So it's cubed avocado with cubed tuna on top of it and some other magic sauce on top. Oh, it's so good. There's been times, I remember on Brilliance of the Seas, I definitely remember this. We got the ultimate dining package and there's only a couple of specialty restaurants on there. And one time, I literally told the waiter, I'd like to have two of these tunas for an appetizer and two of the tunas for dinner. And uh, I think by that, by the thing, when I got to like three and a half tunas, I was like, I might have hit my personal threshold for tuna, but it was really good. I love it. It's very light. It's very tasty. Um, I, I, I'm just, there's a lot of good choices on that chops menu. I mean, really, we could probably sit here and list out, I think we have in previous episodes, you know, what really makes the Chops menu stand out there. I mean, the Chops menu has been, you know, stagnant in a good way because of how good it is. It really doesn't change much because so much of the stuff that's on there is so darn good. I mean, you can't, at some point, you just can't improve what what there is. There's just going to have that standard menu experience. And uh, But for me, when I look there, sometimes I forget after a while, if I haven't been to Chops in a little bit, I'm like, oh, yeah, the tuna, yeah. I mean, the, the mushroom soup is fantastic. You know, a lot of people rave about the the bacon, the pork belly bacon that's over there. But I'm telling you, the thing that I would love to have right now, man, I really could go for it right now, would be that tuna from from Chops on Adventure of the Seas. It was probably the best food I ate on the ship. And that's not true. There's better food I've eaten. That was just an appetizer. But it was really good. It was really, really good. All right, now I mentioned I tried to stay away from the red meat, but I did not succeed because our next item, number four, we're heading to Perfect Day Coco Key, actually. And I already told you it's not the chicken sandwich from the Snack Shack. We talked about that already. And no, it's not the mozzarella sticks either. That should have made my honorable mentions as well. Those are really good. Make sure you order those. But the thing that made my list was the filet mignon at the Coco Beach Club restaurant. So full disclosure, I was a guest of Royal Caribbean when I went there, meaning they invited me. I didn't pay for this. But... 
we got onto the, the, the restaurant and I had been there. <laughs> this was like, so I'd done between adventure of the season, freedom of the season, there were a couple different media events. And so I've eaten at this restaurant a couple times and the grouper was what I usually as my, as my entree. It's very good. And I like that quite a bit. I think I got the chicken one time. Excellent. But you know, we were talking and the filet was something they said is one of some of the best things that they do. So I'm like, all right, listen, it may be 800 degrees outside. I might be sweating profusely. It wasn't quite that bad, but it, you know, it was hot out. Nonetheless, I'm going to try the filet here because I think, let's see what it's like. I mean, how good is a filet mignon on a private island near the beach? And I got to tell you, maybe it's just because I've been cutting back on steaks in general, but this steak was so soft, so tender. It was exactly not only what I what I wanted, but it, it actually exceeded my expectations. I mean, you know, it's a good cut of steak when you're not there's it's effortless to cut through the steak. I mean, filet is supposed to be effortless, obviously. But, you know, you've been to some restaurants. You go to Chili's. A filet at Chili's is not the same as a filet at other restaurants, right? There's obviously very different choices. Anyway, the filet mignon at the Cocoa Beach Club was really, I mean, I was like, I think in my mind, I was like, I'll eat like half of it. And that way I'll be, I'll feel better about my choices, right? I ate the whole thing. I, I Maybe I left a quarter of an inch off at the end. I was like, oh, there you go. That's half, quarter of an inch at the end. Eh, same thing. It was so good. I really enjoyed that quite a bit. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of great things there. By the way, the the hummus, if you love hummus, if you're a hummus lover out there, uh, make sure you check out the on the appetizers that they give you at the Cocoa Beach Club. They make their own hummus. I thought for sure it was like, you know, out of a box or something, but they make all that stuff fresh. And it's a recipe that Royal Caribbean developed. And this just goes to show you the attention to detail that Royal Caribbean does when it comes to its its offerings, that they're not just, everything's not just out of a box from a restaurant you know from a supermarket somewhere else right i mean they they make it there fresh that is really good so uh definitely go heavy on hummus when you're there which by the way is also the name of uh my first punk band album if i ever have one heavy on the hummus that'd be a really good album right anyway um it, it that that's good but the filet mignon the filet is good also the most underrated thing on the coco beach club restaurant menu the french fries uh someone's theorized that they're double fried but i don't know what it is you know, they're French fries. Okay. They're not, this isn't like, you know, the, when you look at them, they're like, Oh, this is what Matt talked about. I'm telling you, they're better than they look. And they're actually really good. You end up just, it's like Pringles. You just can't eat one or whatever their slogan is that I just butchered there. Anyway, filet mignon number four. And the thing that made number one on my list, without a doubt, I had to go there twice. It was that good. And that is the seven cheese pizza and the chicken parm from Giovanni's table. Giovanni's Italian kitchen, excuse me on Royal Caribbean's Freedom of the Sea. So this is the new concept for Giovanni's. Basically, Giovanni's table has been on a number of ships for a number of years, but Royal Caribbean on Freedom of the Seas revamped the menu, completely redid the whole thing. This was supposed to be obviously launched on Freedom, and it was supposed to come on Allure of the Seas and her amplification. That didn't happen because of the whole shutdown. But the this is so this is my first opportunity to dine at Giovanni's Italian Kitchen. And I got to tell you, they had a home run with this. I mean, we, there's a, first of all, the menu is very large. There's a lot of great choices there. And I, I think that if you uh, if you if you talk to uh, Mr. D'Souza about Giovanni's, he would tell you about a lot about a lot of things. I mean, I think we both agree the seven cheese pizza is fantastic. No, I can't list. I don't even know what I can't even name seven cheeses in general, let alone which are on the pizza uh, uh, mozzarella. Um, Parmesan. Okay, that's all the cheeses I know. Um, you know, so like there's seven of them. It is so good. Even yes, it is better than, than Sorrento's pizza. And 
what I recommend is you get the pizza to share and then you obviously order yourself an entree for yourself, but it is really good. I had the margarita pizza as well, but you know, uh, the chicken parm for me, chicken parm is always going to be my go-to Italian restaurant order. It is my gold standard. It's like General says chicken at Chinese or maybe a steak at a steak. I mean, you just have to order. You got your go-to whenever you go to one of these restaurants, right? And for me, chicken parm, as soon as I saw that, I zeroed in on that option. I did have the lasagna on another night, and that was really good. There's, oh gosh, the the muffaletta is really good. Um, the I, I mean, there's there's so many good options there. If you like pastas, obviously, but for me, I the chicken parm was excellent. You know, for me, the chicken parm, the the key to a chicken parm is that it should not taste like a piece of chicken with a piece of cheese on top and some sauce. Like you shouldn't be able to differentiate in your mouth, the different parts. It should be a blend. It should be a orchestra of food, I guess is the best way to describe it. And it should all blend together. That's what makes a good chicken. Certainly, I'm sure you've all had chicken parmesans at various restaurants, which are basically, okay, this is a piece of chicken breast and somebody threw some cheese on it, some sauce and called it that. It's way better than that. It was really, really good. I, I like, I'm going to tell you this. Giovanni Italian Kitchen is the best Italian restaurant right now on any Royal Caribbean ship. That's so obviously that encompasses Giovanni's table as well as Jamie's Italian. But that was, it, it's a must eat. And I'm looking forward to sharing that experience with my family and my wife, especially the next time we get a chance to, well, I guess it'll be on freedom. I'm not sure when the next opportunity will be for there to be, because right now it's only available on the um, freedom of the seas. Although actually I don't think about it. Odyssey will have it. So maybe we'll try it on there. But anyway, nonetheless, uh, that was, that made the top of my list there. So there you go. There's my, Five things, the best five things I've eaten on a cruise this year, and uh, I encourage you when you get on board, you got to do, as they say, it's 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 way cliche now, but you got, you do you, right? You do the things that you absolutely love, and I think just like me, when you get back on a ship, you're going to want to re- bring back the memories, bring back the good stuff, and you know, kind of you know, remind yourself if you've been on a cruise before, remind yourself of all the things you love if you're brand new to cruising. Well. These are just some items to, to try out as well and make new favorites for yourself. But, you know, the, the homecoming is more than just being on a ship. It is also about what you eat because at the end of the day, listen, it's all about the food. Okay, time to answer some listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I jump into the Royal Caribbean blog inbox, answer the questions you've sent me, and if you're saying to yourself, boy, it'd be great for Matt to answer my question or read my email or something in between, you can do just that. Just email to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first email is from Mr. Ron Ladowski, who is a top-tier Royal Caribbean blog insider, so he gets his emails answered first. Hey, Matt, just listen to episode 413, the Freedom of the Seas cruise review. It was great, just like the previous 412 episodes. When you started reviewing the newly amplified Freedom, it brought back memories. My first Royal Caribbean cruise in a suite back in 2015. The concierge was a gentleman named Raul, and he could not have been more gracious and helpful. He met and escorted us to and from the ship at the Cayman Islands, escorted us off the ship on Dippus Embarkation Day in a private elevator, and in between, arranged for an all-access ship tour because he liked us. Raul, more than anything or anybody with his personalized service, convinced us to only cruise in a suite. I also had the pleasure of meeting a wonderful concierge mate, uh, Mard, Marty, from Australia, with whom I've kept contact with all these years and other great perks. But on the downside, what I also remember about the Freedom of the Seas is the sweet pool deck area on the bow of the ship. It was an area overlooking the main pool deck on deck 13, as I recall. An amazing view when docked, but a virtual wind tunnel while at sea. 
Has this area changed during amplification? Your great podcast has convinced me, quote, I got to get on freedom again, end quote. Thanks for all you do. I am and always will remain a loyal Royal Caribbean blog insider. Wait, what's an insider? I'll let you take it from here. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate it. I already did the shameless plug before your email, so, you know, we'll leave it at that. You know, uh, the area in front of the ship is now at, basically when you're on deck. Well, you start off on like 12 and then you climb up to like, I don't know, 12 and a half, 13, something like that. It's uh, the mini golf is up there and uh, there's just some seating and whatnot. And the suite area that used to be, there used to be suite seating uh, at the pool deck. That's now been replaced by the lemon coconut. And to the best of my recollection, I am now desperately trying to think of my brain. I don't think there's any suite seating area by the pool anymore. Um, so fortunately that perk is gone or it's been moved somewhere that I'm completely unaware of. And maybe someone in our chat will remind me about where that is. You know, what's interesting is, Ron, you remind me of something else, though. You mentioned Raul, the concierge. And we, when we were on Adventure of the Seas, um, we stopped in the suite lounge once. And the uh, this is like, I think it might have been on the first sailing, but like day four. We were on there for two weeks on Adventure of the Seas. And we were staying in a suite. And the concierge was like, where have you been? And I, it's hard. Like, they always, like, are surprised when they hear. I, we never use the sweet benefits. Not that benefit, I should say. I love the benefits that Ron mentioned, the priority disembarkation especially. But the, um, you know, for, for us, we never spend time in the sweet lounge. Part of that is because I've been on, I've been getting the drink package forever now. And with the drink package, I don't see a giant need to be in the sweet lounge since I'm getting my drinks elsewhere around the ship. Obviously, there is a social factor to being in the sweet lounge. I totally get that. It's just not my jam. I, we've done cruises where we spent a lot of time in the sweet lounge, and I'm pretty sure on those we didn't have the drink package. So to me, they go a little bit hand in hand, and we're just not it, – it, I'm just not a sweet lounge kind of guy, and I think – the concierge, I don't I don't think he takes it personally. So I always try to explain like this, you know, we, we love the benefits, enjoying it, but we're not, we're usually not here. I usually bring my kids up there because they don't have the drink package. And so if I want to get them a, you know, a Shirley Temple or something like that, you know, they can get it up there and then I can eat some hors d'oeuvres while I watch them, you know, something like that. But by and large, not really once in a while, you know, maybe before dinner, after we drop the kids off at Adventure Ocean, my wife and I might go up there once just to see what it's like and check it out. But yeah, we're just, it's just funny. We go up there and we always get like, where have you been the whole time? And I, I understand that's part of their job, right? And it's totally fine. I don't mind. I know where they are. It's like one of those, I know where you live kind of situations. I can find you if need be. But yeah, no, we're not. When, when we book a suite, my mentality is always, number one, it's the room I'm booking. Like the the extra space, right? The large balcony, the, the, the room I'm getting, the living space. That's... Uh -huh. Probably number one. Number two for me would be the embarkation and disembarkation benefits, the priority you get with those. That's really nice, especially in if you go out of Miami, my goodness, with the suite lounge there, it's so easy. I really like those benefits uh, among them. And then beyond that, uh, I mean, the drinks, again, for my kids, I guess, but I'll probably get, you know, two to four drinks out of that the most on a cruise. We just don't spend a lot of time up there. So I just like the extra, I like the little service. And, of course, the complimentary uh, room service that works really well for our family, especially when we're coming back from a port day and the kids have to shower. I can order dinner and then they can eat their dinner while my wife and I are getting ready. It, it's very convenient. So thank you, Ron, for the email. I do appreciate it. 
Our next email is coming to us from Jonathan Abel of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Hey, Matt, great podcast. Brings back a little cruising in our life every week. Our family's last royal Caribbean cruise on Symphony of the Seas in July 2019. It was our first Oasis-class ship, and I was very impressed at how well people were dispersed throughout the ship. For the most part, it didn't feel crowded. One exception are the pools. We brought our swimsuits and our carry-on luggage during embarkation, and that worked really well. My youngest son was first in the pool, and we had a few hours of great pool time and water slide time with few crowds or lineups before departure. The sea days were another story. There were lots of deck chairs available, but the pools themselves were very, very crowded. What do you think about the idea of pre-booking pool times through the app? Each person could have the opportunity to pre-book half an hour in the pool each day with a reasonable limit on the number of people in the pool. That would greatly control crowds, give everyone the chance to enjoy the pools, and help everyone plan their day. What do you think of this idea? Any other suggestions of good times at the pools? You know, it's a tough one. I Your idea, like, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but it's just not going to make sense. I mean, it's hard to figure out when you're going to be hungry on a cruise to plan that in advance. Imagine, like, what time I want to be in the pool. Like, that would be, I, I think logistically, it would be an, it would be too difficult for people to really plan. I, I But I understand exactly your point. The next best time to hit the pools, if you want them actually to be able to go in the pool and not feel like a sardine or anything like that, are during port days. That's one of the best times to hit the pools as well. And take advantage maybe of a port day that like you're not that excited about, be it Nassau, be it Falmouth, be it any port, or come back to the ship early. Get off the ship early, go do a tour, come back, you know, right after lunch, a couple hours. The, the, the pool is basically dead the rest of the day. Even when people get back on board around four or five o'clock, a lot of people are getting ready for dinner. It's never really the same as a sea day. So take advantage of port days, especially. And one of my favorite things to do is, you know, you're walking back to the ship. You're kind of hot and sweaty from the walk back or whatever you were doing. I'll tell the kids, hey, you just want to go straight to the pool and hop in there and jump in, do a couple of, you know, and then go back and shower. You can do something like that as well. Um, so that's another option. So don't overlook that aspect. I think the port day pool time is definitely underrated. Next question is from Rebecca, who writes, hi, Matt. Hope this email finds you well. We're take, we are taking our first cruise that will include Coco Key in October of 2021. We have 18 people in our group. Some adults, some kids have a couple of questions about the Coco Beach Club. My questions are, number one, we have a child under two in the group. Is that child considered one of the eight people that's part of the cabana rental? Uh, yes and no. I mean, they really, that that eight number uh, is kind of a, it's a suggestion more than anything. Um, for the floating cabana, they can accommodate 10, and then that's the max, max capacity. Obviously, a two-year-old is different than a 35-year-old, right? Uh, I think if you had nine plus the you know with the kid that including the kid that's probably not a big deal. i wouldn't worry too much about that um but obviously if you want to like 12 or something that'd be a problem and number two is the access to the floating cabana is restricted or limited within the coco beach club what i mean is if we have a group of us that are rented a floating cabana and another set that have just got regular access to the beach club can the general access people come out to see us in our cabana as long as we stay under eight at the cabana at a time Theoretically, yes. Uh, there, It is limited access. There's a pier, a dock. Everyone look at it. They have to walk to a walkway that's floating. And there is somebody standing right there to prevent entry to there. Obviously, if you have a wristband, no problem at all. You can certainly let them know, hey, we've got some friends. We're going to come in. You know, we're going to say hello. But there is a limited capacity, as I mentioned earlier. Literally, they'll stop floating at that point. That creates a problem. So you can't have, you have 18, 18 people cannot be there. 12 people cannot be there. You know, if you want one or two that come visit at a time, sure. I don't think that'll probably be an issue as long as you don't keep it like a, it's not like a lineup of people or something like that. You know what I mean? If it's casual, you're cool about it. You're not causing a scene probably, but you know, this is that gray area, Rebecca, where, you know, technically there isn't a provision for this, but have I seen it happen? Sure. Um, it, it's just, uh, 
one of those your mileage may vary situations is the best answer I can give you. I certainly can't tell you one way or another definitively what to expect. Next, we have an email from Bill who writes, Hi, Matt. Really love the podcast. It helped me get through the last year. Here's my issue I'm having. We originally had a Freedom of the Seas cruise of July 2020 that, of course, was canceled. I was able to lift and shift it to Symphony of the Seas in July 21. I was really hopeful that was going to sail, and we ended up missing the startup by just a few weeks. So I, of course, lifted and shifted one more time to 2022 because I had an amazing price for that original sailing. So my wife and I are talking about cruises this summer. I threw out four or five ideas of things to do, and in the end, by adding the Adventure of the Sea sailing is the week we need to go, and we already have enough airline credits to pay for the flights to Nassau. To my total shock, she said she wanted to go on a cruise with family on the adventure. The echo of her voice was hardly over when I was already on the phone booking the trip. Her thought was that they're going to be very careful on this restart, and she liked the fact that everyone above 16 is going to be vaccinated. For some reason, I don't have the excitement I usually do pre-trip. Not sure it's because I do not believe it'll actually happen after the last two canceled, or it's because of the, the level of the ship. I'm sure once we get to NASA, it should pick up, but it has to be a little worried. Think about booking a chef's table will perk it up as something we would not usually do. Also a little worried there is enough for my teenagers to enjoy. The second issue is that my family trip on Symphony will be three and a half years after the original booking. I've been looking forward to it for a very long time. A little worried that it won't live up to the buildup and wait. Pretty sure this is not the case. Bill, great email. And I'll tell you this, man. When I went on an adventure for the first time, my first cruise in 15 months, I was just worried, dude, they were going to pull the rug under my from underneath me. Like I was just convinced they're, they're going to cancel. They're going to, this is not going to happen. Something's, something's going to go wrong. And, and just like all those dreams I had when I would feel like I'm on a ship and then I wake up I'm like, oh, darn, it's, it's just a dream. Like, you know, it, it would just be like that. And it didn't end obviously not being the case. And it hasn't been the case. And I think cruises are going. I mean, I understand your trepidation in that level of it. And I think that's kind of normal, but you should get excited for it, dude. It's going to be an amazing sailing adventure it was fantastic. Uh, you know, the, the worst thing I can say about it is, you know, having to fly to the Bahamas is a bit of a hassle, but for all our friends who live up north or uh, out west who regularly fly to go on any cruise, they're like, they're probably all thinking, Matt, what's the big deal about that? We do that all the time. So, you know, I'm just spoiled because I live in Florida, but really it's, it's, you should be getting excited for it. The limited capacity, dude, that's the best part about the sailing. It just feels like you have the ship to yourself. And when you go to Coco Key, Bill, you're going to want to book another sailing on an adventure. It's that good. So enjoy my friend. And the last thing, oh, you had mentioned about the symphony. Same thing. I mean, I, you're just, you're snake bitten. You're, you're not wrong for having that kind of a reaction. You know, when you, when you have that many canceled cruises and, it's hard. You don't want to get your your, your hopes working. This is a natural human reaction, right? You don't want to get your your hopes up again and then to have them dashed. But I think it's it's safe to say that you could have cautious optimism and, and and certainly get excited, start learning about your ship. I don't think that's a bad thing. And the fact that the ships are going and sailing, and yes, there's been COVID cases on board, and yes, they've been taken care of, and it hasn't been the end of the world. That's a great sign. And our last email this week comes to us from Christine, who writes, My husband and I are cruising on Alert of the Seas this fall. We are taking advantage of the dining package for the first time. Our questions are, are there limitations to meals, entrees, the package diners can select, any menu items considered off-limits? Uh, good question, Christine. Number one, if there's any item that costs extra, like if you're at uh, Chop's Grill and there is the seafood tower, that's not included. So if there's an extra cost you see there next to the number, like, you know, you're, you're looking at the menu and there's something that has a dollar sign next to it, that costs extra. Uh, obviously you may already know this chef's table is not included. Room service is not included with your dining package. If you're dining at Azumi Hibachi, the upgraded option, your, your dining package includes the base menu. There's an upgraded menu option, which basically you get combos and whatnot. Uh, that's going to cost you a little bit extra. It's like, I think 10 bucks extra or something like that a person, but 
Um, no, by and large, it's pretty much included right there. Uh, in looking at the, this is back to Christine's email. In looking at the things to do on a lure blog post you wrote, I see that Azumi Hibachi is listed as a pri fixed price menu. Is that correct? It is for the Hibachi. For the sushi, it is pay as you go. So hope that makes sense. Many thanks for your help. And for the blog, as relatively new cruisers, we've learned a lot from you online. You're very welcome. Glad to I'm glad that you found this helpful, and I hope you have an awesome time. Dining package is a lot of food, but you get your money's worth out of it. There's no doubt it. you will not leave that ship unless you don't go to the restaurants thinking to yourself, boy, did I not get my money's worth out of that. You got you got plenty out of that. So thank you, Christine. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. You can send me your emails by sending them to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, Matt, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. So until next week, I'm Matt, and we'll talk again real soon.